Here comes Midday on the Rural Radio Network with information of all kinds from all points of the globe and across the state. Well, we got people flung far and wide today, Joe Gangwish. we got people at the top of the states, at the bottom of the states, on the eastern side of the state. And yeah. Of course, you can't forget our good old affiliates on the network, KNEB, out in the western part of the state. So we are covering it today. All over the place. And last night, we want to thank... Uh, our uh, colleagues for their coverage of all of that uh, destruction that took place in uh, east-central Nebraska up into the northeast. Uh, and our our hearts go out to those of you who suffered any damage last night. Yeah, it was some hail around, with some high winds, so a little bit of crop damage. We'll uh, continue to pursue that. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you didn't get hail too bad. But uh, that's this time of year when you get rain, usually accompanied by hail going to happen yeah all right what are the stories in egg news but it's a great day dirk for nebraska beef we'll have some china news coming up in fact well i'll just spill the beans here for 117 so hang on for that our 1219 is shaley peters with joe Sheely, u.s meat export federation he'll be talking about shipping some american beef to china our newsmaker today is matt youngman of course he's with Husker Harvest Days, they are celebrating their 40th year this year. They've got some special things planned, so Susan will talk to him at 1245. And uh, we'll go ahead and tell you what we're going to talk about in Ag News as well. Susan was in Omaha today where Governor Ricketts and Ag Director Greg Ibaugh joined Greater Omaha Packing. They are one of two packing plants that have been approved for uh, shipping uh, U.S. beef to China, making those first shipments now that we've got them back online to uh, have them as a beef customer. So great news. Good uh, good meeting uh, there this morning going on in Omaha. So that'll be at 117. Quite a distinction and quite a little uh, head start there, I should think. Yeah. All right. Jason Jorgensen has our sports. Well, when it comes to recruiting college baseball, it's a tricky game. You have to find a balance. You want to find players that are good enough to help you win But you don't want to sign guys who go so high in the Major League Draft that they never end up on your campus. The MLB Balancing Act. It is. And one of Nebraska's top baseball recruits, I don't know if he shows up in Lincoln or not. He's one of the best players in Iowa, John Swanda. And he went in the fourth round yesterday to the Angels. That's pretty good money to walk away from. (laughs) So so there's been a lot of stories uh, this week about... uh, Husker signee goes in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly good news. <laughs> it, unless he says, well, the big bucks can wait. You know, and I've heard him talking also about that the, the recruits to universities, too, get younger and younger and younger. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting how that whole development thing is just turned on its head. Isn't That's it? true. And, of course, what we've learned in football recruiting is uh, uh, just because a guy tweets and says he's coming, <laughs> Maybe we could talk him into playing two sports. Yeah. That would get him here. Until they sign on the dotted line. <laughs> no reason to get that. But it's become a huge industry with the recruiting news. You're saying tweets are just tweets. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Especially in the recruiting world. All right. So uh, that's some of the stuff. Bob Brogan's over here with the business news. Everybody's got their eye on what the Federal Reserve is going to do. They're expected to announce this afternoon that uh, it's raising its benchmark short-term interest rate, so we're waiting for that. Also, there was a weak report on retail sales, so the market's kind of digesting that today. Those are two of the major things that are going on. We'll look for all of these stories and more on today's Midday.
Paul Perkins is in with our regional ag weather this day, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. Well, once again, we got a part of the state pelted. Yes, uh, kind of feast or famine also on some rainfall totals. A lot of locations getting anywhere from an inch to two inches of rain. They had over three inches of rain towards the Sherman County area around the Loop City region yes, wow. last night. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, some areas got Zippo, like here at the KRVN studio. Yeah, well, it's it's been pretty uh, hit and miss, and those uh, those that came yesterday and started up in the afternoon really got some power behind a few of them. Yeah, a lot of police is uh, reporting some hail, especially up to around tennis ball size hail, like they were talking, and maybe even close to softball size hail. Yep. Well, if we can spread out that precipitation a little bit better, that would be nice. So who do we have to see for that? Well, uh, we'll talk to Mother Nature about that and see if any strings can get pulled on that. <laughs> Not looking very hopeful for that in the near term with our forecast and even the long term. Sky is going to be sunny today behind that front tracking off towards the east. The temperature is still slightly warmer than normal behind that front. About all that front acted as was a, a dry line. And the temperatures will remain slightly warmer than normal, but at least it's feeling more comfortable today. Yesterday we had dew points in the mid to upper 60s. Right now our dew points are in the low 40s, so a lot more uh, dry air in place across the area. High pressure pushes in from the west tonight. That'll keep that dry air flowing. And some light winds for tonight. Actually, a break from the winds. Tomorrow, that front that moved through yesterday, that will start to stall out over eastern Nebraska and Kansas and central and east Kansas. And that will bring us a chance of some afternoon thunderstorms over east Nebraska into central and east Kansas. A westerly flow through Saturday will keep those temperatures warmer than normal. Some weak disturbances in that flow, keeping at least a slight chance of some thunderstorms going, especially as we head towards Saturday and Saturday night. A northwest flow will start to set up for the early part of next week, Sunday and Monday, as a big ridge of high pressure builds to the west. We'll be on the eastern edge of that ridge of high pressure, so that northwest flow giving us uh, temperatures closer to seasonal for this time of year. But that high pressure ridge, though, moves farther east by Tuesday to begin a warming trend. And that looks to be the trend in our long form, long-term forecast. That big ridge of high pressure continues to build and looks to remain firmly entrenched over the desert southwest in our long-term forecast. That means warmer than normal temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas Monday through June 27th. And because of that ridge over an area where a lot of our storm makers originate, Nebraska and Kansas likely to see below normal precipitation Monday through the 27th. Weather factors driving market trade include scattered rain from the Midwest and very little follow-up rain across the northern plains. Dryness becoming more of a concern in the last week. Topsoil moisture rated very short to short increased 20 to 40 percentage points in Nebraska, Iowa, Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan. Across the Midwest, there will be a gradual return to more moderate temperatures and some increasing rain chances to improve the conditions for developing crops after the recent heat and dryness, but just how much rain, very uncertain in the Midwest. There's been rain in the northern plains this week, but the drought easing from that rain will be very minimal. Very little rain is forecast in the next week to 10 days. Crop stress will likely continue, especially with the spring wheat that has the lowest crop ratings in almost 30 years. Dry and hot weather is forecast for the southern plains to help out their wheat ripening and harvest, but it also means extensive irrigation for row crops. In the Canadian prairies, moderate to locally heavy rain will focus in eastern areas. That rain needed in south and east parts of Saskatchewan through Manitoba after well below 
well below normal rain in the last 60 days. That rain, though, may not be needed in other areas where wet conditions will further delay the field work and lead to disease risk. Australia crop areas are going through an extensive dry period. Some areas have only seen about 25 to 60 percent of their normal rain in the past six weeks here. Well, you were talking about the dry conditions there. I'm looking at this nationwide map here. And even right now, the satellite picture is just indicating, except for what went through west last night and a little bit along the Ohio Valley, there's just not much out there. Yep, just now northeastern Iowa and western Ohio, about the only thing we're really seeing for significant moisture right now. Yep. Crazy. All right, well, on a word upward, I say. And uh, ag weather, of course, brought to you every day by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. Any final word here on the forecast? Just going to be kind of warm and dry over the next few days. A little bit of a break from the heat by Sunday, Monday, but not much of one. All right, get used to it when you need weather anytime. KRBN.com. Joe Gangwish with an update of Ag News here on the Rural Radio Network. Arkansas-based Tyson Foods says one of its employees was among those shot at a congressional baseball practice in Washington, D.C. this morning. Tyson spokesman Gary Michelson identified the wounded employee as Matt Micah. He says Micah was taken to a hospital and that the company is awaiting word on his condition. Michelson says Micah is Director of Government Relations for Tyson's Washington, D.C. office and that he's worked for the company for more than six years. He says the company is deeply concerned about Micah and his family. More on that story at RuralRadio.com. Well, it is a great day for the beef industry and the state of Nebraska. Let's get more on that from Susan Littlefield. On September 16th, Chinese government officials toured the Greater Omaha plant. Not only the plant, but the production lines. They're the only plant that the delegation toured. Then on September 17th, the announcement was made that China would reestablish beef into their country. Greater Omaha Packing President Henry Davis said it was great news for their establishment. We're very excited and proud to be the first company in the United States to begin exporting beef to China after a 14-year cessation. This never would have happened without the very hard work of Governor Ricketts, the USDA, Director Eibach, and all of the very talented people and team members here at Greater Omaha. And just 68 days after the president met with his counterpart in China, the first container of beef is leaving Omaha. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Also going on today in Kearney is the Nebraska Farm Bureau's Agricultural Economic and Technology Summit. Rural Radio Network's Jesse Harding is in attendance. One of the main topics of conversation has been trade. And Matt Haybrock, Assistant Director for the Nebraska Department of Agriculture, discusses, yes, trade's a global issue, but it also affects the counties individually in Nebraska. Some analysis that we've done at the department where we look at um, kind of the top um, 10 products that we trade and what it means on a county by level or county level basis we look at you know Platte County is the the top leader in all this with over 245 million dollars annually of products grown in Platte County that are traded um, and that's not just unique to Platte County it's every county in the state is impacted we look at Custer County with um, around 150 million dollars worth of products traded annually um, Cherry County over a hundred million dollars and so on and so forth so it really is every county in Nebraska um, is is reaping the benefits of our trading partnerships. Haberock was a paneled speaker at Nebraska Farm Bureau's Agriculture and Economic Technology Summit that is going on in Kearney. 
Reporting from the Summit and the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Well, when the American Society of Animal Science presents awards at its July 9th annual meeting in Baltimore, those in attendance can expect to hear the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's name announced frequently. Five Nebraska faculty and administrators have earned national ASAS awards, including Chancellor Ronnie Green, who's been selected to receive the National Association's highest and most prestigious honor. ASAS is the leading international scientific society supporting the careers of scientists and animal producers around the world. Green, an animal geneticist who became the university's top administrator back in 2016, will be honored with the Morrison Award. That honor is bestowed to an individual who has excelled in research of direct and international importance to livestock production. The association awards that award to recognize important scientific contributions or discoveries in research revolving around animal science and more on that story as well by going to ruralradio.com also podcast video all your needs find it at ruralradio.com i'm joe gangwish u.s beef is finally one step closer to arriving in china i'm shaley peters on the rural radio network and here to visit with me today about that is joe Sheely with the u.s meat export federation and joe this news coming on monday talk to us about the announcement well, it is very exciting news. Uh, on Monday, USDA posted the official export requirements uh, that outline exactly what a U.S. company needs to do to export beef to China. And so I guess we could say they open now, although there are some administrative steps left. Uh, what happens with a lot of markets when they open is uh, companies need to file an export verification program, uh, not with every country, but with a lot of countries that we export to. They are, are required to file an export verification program, have that approved by USDA, and then they are uh, free to export uh, meat to that country. And so that's the, the what we're what we'll see happen today, uh, even as early as today, as companies submitting those export verification programs for China, hopefully get those approved in a few days and we can get uh, product uh, en route. And it's been a long wait. Uh, this market's been closed for more than 13 years, and so we're excited to participate in it. Go into some of the details of what exactly the regulations are, what they cover, and what this means for packers and producers. Well, there's a lot to like in the agreement. Uh, there were several uh, several aspects of the agreement that were better, for example, than what other beef exporting countries have been able to achieve with China. We got a, a very broad range of items from the carcass approved, including a lot of off-all items, variety meat items that other countries have not been able to export to China, and so we were very pleased to see that. Also got approval for chilled beef. Uh, when I say chilled, that means it's never frozen. So that tends to go to the higher end uh, restaurant sector and to the higher end supermarkets. They want product that's never been frozen. And a lot of countries have really struggled to get approval for chilled beef into China, including Australia, Brazil, Uruguay, other countries that have wanted to ship chilled to China have, have had very little success in doing so. And so we were very pleased to get approval for chilled beef. I would hasten to say, though, that there are some requirements uh, in the agreement uh, that will likely limit our export volumes, at least initially, and those would, uh, the most uh, significant of those would be the residue testing requirement for uh, synthetic growth hormones and for beta agonists. It's, uh, it's a situation where beef should be raised without those technologies if you're planning to export it to China, and so I think we could see that uh, 
limit our participation to some degree. It would limit the percentage of cattle that are eligible. And also the traceability requirements. Uh, China was not terribly prescriptive about traceability. So so producers who are today uh, participating in a uh, source verification program or some type of uh, uh, some type of program like that, some type of voluntary traceability program should be okay. Uh, they shouldn't see any added costs, but if you're a producer that's, that's not been doing anything like that, uh, there might be some added production costs involved there as well. So those are some things that we want to acknowledge up front, but, but we still want to, to emphasize that we're very upbeat about having access to China. Uh, it's just important to note that there could be a period of adjustment here as we, uh, as we work to get enough enough eligible supply uh, to serve the market. Thanks, Joe. Joe Sheely with U.S. Meat Export Federation. For more on these rules and regulations, you can visit ruralradio.com. Beef soon to be arriving in China. I'm Sheely Peters on the Rural Radio Network. You're with Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time for a check of sports with Jason Jorgenden. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, it's really a tricky game in the world of college baseball recruiting. One of Darren Erstad's top recruits in this class will have a big decision to make before the fall. Des Moines native John Swanda was taken in the fourth round of yesterday's Major League Baseball draft by the Los Angeles Angels. Swanda was recently named Iowa's Gatorade Player of the Year. Pittsburgh is celebrating the Penguins' second consecutive Stanley Cup with a parade and a rally. Hundreds of fans had lined up before dawn along downtown Pittsburgh streets and to the Point State Park. Planners said as many as 500,000 people could turn out. That would surpass the estimated 400,000 who attended last year's celebration, which was the biggest for any of the team's five Stanley Cup championships. Well, don't look now, but the Kansas City Royals have started to show a pulse. Left-hander Jason Vargas pitched seven strong innings, and Alcides Escobar hit a two-run double and a six-run fifth as the Royals roughed up the Giants 8-1. to Vargas's nine wins are tied for the most in the majors with the Dodgers' Clayton Kershaw and Dallas Keuchel. Manager Ned Yost talks about his resurgence this year coming off of Tommy John surgery. He's healthy, 100% healthy. You know, he was he pitched... Uh, you know, that ligament was going on him, and but the gamer that he is, he just kept pitching until it blew. He wasn't going to stop until it blew. And when it blew, he went and got it fixed and rehabbed uh, extremely uh, diligently and, uh, you know, got himself back into tip-top shape. And After a rotten start to the year, Kansas City 7-4 in the month of June. They will conclude that two-game series with the Giants tonight. And here's an idea. Following their first World Series title in 108 years, Cubs came up with a neat marketing plan. The team emailed premier clients and season ticket holders yesterday with an offer to purchase the ivy leaves that covered Wrigley Field's outfield walls during the championship season. Although the foliage is typically discarded when the ivy turns red and sheds its leaves in November, the team, after that last year's historic year, instead chose to collect the leaves for the first time, have each authenticated with a hologram. The Cubs are selling the 2000 leaves from Wrigley's iconic Ivy as keepsakes from the team's World Series championship. Now, what does this cost? Each leaf costs $200 plus $15 in shipping. The Cubs note that a fan can order up to 10 of the leaves. That is all the good sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clear skies tonight with lows in the 50s and even into the low 60s in the east. I'm Dave Schroeder. 
Residents of Columbus and surrounding areas are cleaning up after a strong thunderstorm moved through, leaving down trees and power lines. It struck around 8 p.m. last night, packing winds clocked at 75 miles per hour at Columbus Airport. Platte County Emergency Manager Tim Hoffbauer. But we've had you know quite a few trees down, branches down, a couple houses were damaged by falling trees, cars as well. There was a house hit by lightning that, that caused some minor um, damage to insulation and, and to the roof. Number of um, outages related to like the trees falling. Hoffbauer says a semi-trailer was blown onto its side near Humphrey. Columbus firefighters also responded to minor grass and tree fires just outside of town. No injuries reported. Elsewhere, tennis ball-sized hail was reported north of Atkinson and on the west side of Hastings. Environmental experts in Nebraska say transmission lines to power pumping stations for the planned Keystone XL pipeline would threaten endangered whooping cranes. Representatives from environmental groups, including the Sierra Club and Bold Nebraska, submitted written testimony to the Nebraska Public Service Commission. They say they object to the $8 billion pipeline's impact on natural resources. The commission regulates the pipeline route through Nebraska. Bird expert Paul Johnsgaard says the preferred route of the pipeline would mean nearly 70 miles of new power lines in the state would pass through migration areas where whooping cranes roost and feed. He says that increases the risk of bird deaths from collisions. Pipeline developer TransCanada says it'll review comments, but that the route doesn't cross critical habitat for whooping cranes. Authorities have charged a mother of two children who were locked out of their south-central Nebraska home in 91-degree heat. Kirsten Tunander is charged with two counts of child abuse. The two- and eight-year-old children are taken into state custody on Sunday after they were spotted trying to get into their Hastings home. Kansas legislators want to have multiple reviews of a plan to build a new state prison before Republican Governor Sam Brownback's administration moves forward with the project. They've included a provision in the next state budget requiring the oversight. The Department of Corrections hopes to finalize a contract this fall with a private company to build a new prison in Lansing to replace Kansas's oldest and largest one. As the severe storm season moves in, remember, the Weather Watch never sleeps. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. 40 years and growing strong. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Husker Harvest Days, which runs September 12th through the 14th outside of Grand Island, is celebrating 40 years this coming show season. Matt Youngman is the show director as he talks about ways they're going to celebrate this 40th anniversary. Yeah, we're really excited about uh, you know the 40th anniversary of, of Husker Harvest Days. We'll be celebrating that, that, that this year. Um, you know, the, the show has, has grown and expanded and, and actually outgrown the original footprint of what the forefathers designed for the place. And so, you know, once again, we'll have a, we'll have a full show, going to have some, some special things going on to help celebrate uh, the 40th year. Going to take a, a, a hard look back at, at, at 1978, which was year one of the show. And, you know, have some 1978 equipment in the field demonstrations, have it, have it kind of spread around the grounds and have some special antique demonstrations and, and just a lot of fun stuff in addition to obviously the show program will just be will be full we've been we've been asking for a year now for 
you know, people's pictures of, of what they have going back through their personal histories at, at, at Husker Harvest Days. And, and, um, and then obviously I will also have all the social media stuff going on celebrating the 40th. Is there any, um, I mean, obviously every you guys have done something different to the grounds to continue to improve and, and make it even better, enjoyable experience for producers that attend. Anything new that's going to be coming this year, improvement-wise? You know, you know, I, I hate to be cagey on that, but but you know, we are putting we're putting a real hard look at the at the showgrounds, and and you know, that place has treated us really well for forty years, and so we're kind of taking a good hard look at things, and and what do we want it to look like for the next forty years? So. Uh, I think we'll have some announcements coming down the line of some some big big changes, some big big improvements uh, coming uh, that that'll kind of help launch our next forty years as as we look at at the at the long term future of, of Husker mm-hmm. Harvest Day. I've always found it intriguing. I've been attending for for twenty years now, and how much just in that time span, technology and agriculture has changed, and how you guys have continued to keep up to pace and, and, and really advancing beyond that to show what's coming for these growers. Yeah, you know, I've, I've, only, I've only been doing this, uh, you know, I, I, I came on board about 10, 12 years ago, and, and even just then, you would not have dreamt of drone demonstrations or, or some of the things that, you know, we're doing, even in the cattle handling demonstrations with, with, with how that technology has, 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 has advanced. It's... it's uh, it's certainly fun to watch, and at the pace that we're advancing, it, it's uh, almost a full-time job just to keep your finger on the pulse of, of everything going on. And, and you know, with with the with one of the focuses of Husker Harvest Days being on irrigation and how that technology can be used to to use the water more efficiently, or to, to you know make the growers more efficient in, in the way that they spend their day. Um, it's uh, it is a full time job just to keep up with that. You know, and that's one area that we kind of forget about when you mention the livestock. There's always such a focus on all the latest in technology of equipment and and what we see in the fields, but just the improvements that have continued to happen within the livestock industry for our for our producers. Yeah, I, you know, it's you're right. I, I'm I'm not sure we give we give the show enough credit for all of the livestock stuff going on. But if you look at the Basically, you know, set aside Agco and John Deere, the Northwest quadrant of that show, the Northwest 25% of that show is all livestock. You know, it, it, it is, it is cow calf and it's seed stock and it's uh, cattle handling and, and everything that goes along with, uh, with what you expect for Western corn belt agriculture. And, and, and it's, uh, you know, it, it, it certainly is a, it's a critically important part of the event. Any ideas to when when the announcements will be coming? Because uh, you kind of hinted a little bit that we're going to see some bigger yeah, and better things coming. Yeah, we're working on that. But, <laughs> and again, I hate to be cagey, <laughs> but I don't I, I don't want to I don't want to back myself in a corner. But but I also you know want to make sure that that folks are ready for it. If, if they you know not to be too taken aback if they hear something pretty big coming down the line. You know, our our plan is hopefully to make some pretty significant announcements actually when the show is going on. So something you guys can cover and and uh, have a big crowd there to to hear these announcements. But that's uh, that's still that's still work getting worked out, and uh, we're spending a lot of time um, working on this project that hopefully is going to going to put Husker on a good firm footing for the next forty years. Uh, you had mentioned as well that you have been for this past year asking for folks to if they've got pictures and different things over the last forty years of Husker Harvest Days to share them with you guys. Have you reached the limit that you need, or do you still need more? We'll never reach the limit. We, all we'll do is, is, is reach the deadline, and, and the deadline isn't here yet. So if anybody has any 
Um, you know, any memorabilia, you know, pictures that they've taken, interesting stories that have happened at Husker Harvest Days or on your way to or from or, or you know, any anything interesting as you think back to your history of visiting Husker Harvest Days, any cool pictures or anything like that. Um, you know, you can reach Tyler at the Nebraska Farmer Office. He's the one that's kind of compiling all this stuff. And you can, you know, you can reach me or, or anyone on our team by going to huskerharvestdays.com. We also have Facebook and, and Twitter and just, you know, just reach, reach your phone and reach and grab your phone and type in Husker Harvest Days and you'll find your way to us and reach out and, and, and let us know uh, what you have and, and how we can get a hold of it. My conversation with Matt Youngman. Of course, Husker Harvest Day celebrating 40 years this year, September 12th through the 14th. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network, Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities unavailable today. Aggressive triple-digit losses developed in cattle trading early this morning, and the trade backed away from session lows for a while and then ended limit down in the first two months of live cattle. The overall tone remains very weak. The buyers are going to have a hard time stepping back into the market at this point, given the strong pressure seen over the last couple trading sessions. Now, cash cattle activity did pick up through the bids and in the morning hours, but uh, the bids dropped as uh, they started out at 1.30 on a live basis, and uh, packers dropped their bids to 128. We did see a few live sales in Nebraska at 1.30, on a dress, or excuse me, on a live basis, light trade was seen yesterday, one thirty-two to one thirty-four. Also, dress trade two fifteen to two seventeen. That was two to five dollars lower than last week. Feeder cattle futures were sharply lower. They did not finish limit down, however, and again, just no support there to hold the prices at any level. That's uh, on the plus side. Wide price ranges seen across the lean hog futures as the aggressive market losses having a varied impact on the hog complex. The buyer support still stepping back into the complex June through August today. And we did see some back months a little bit lower. Cash prices were higher on the direct morning cash hog report. The weighted average price added a dollar 18 at 81 dollars with the range of 7881 to 84 on 5625 head that was reported sold Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network Beef is headed to China. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Today, Governor Pete Ricketts and Nebraska Department of Agriculture Director Greg Eibong joined the Greater Omaha Packing President Henry Davis to load the first box of beef from Nebraska destined for China. The work started at the Greater Omaha Packing Plant with a visit September 16th. Here's Henry Davis. We're very excited and proud to be the first company in the United States to begin exporting beef to China after a 14-year cessation. This never would have happened without the very hard work of Governor Ricketts, the USDA, Director Eibach, and all of the very talented people and team members here at Greater Omaha. On September 16th, Chinese government officials spent the day here at Greater Omaha in discussions with us 
and then toured the plant, including all production lines. We were told Greater Omaha was the only beef production facility that this important delegation toured. The next day, on September 17th, the Chinese government announced that after 14 years, trade of U.S. beef into China would be reestablished and the specific verification criteria would be negotiated. April 7th, President Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping agreed to a new 100-day plan for trade talks to boost U.S. exports and reduce United States trade deficit with China. 68 days later, after the agreement between President Trump and President Xi Jinping, we are shipping the first container of U.S. beef to China. Governor Ricketts said that the opportunity is endless for Nebraska agriculture. Today is a great day for Nebraska, for the country, and of course for Greater Omaha. Greater Omaha is one of the great Nebraska companies that is helping us grow our state here by helping promote our number one industry, which is beef. And it's because of their innovations, technology, and management that they are ready to go today to be able to ship that beef to China. This is a big deal. It's, a, it's companies like Greater Omaha that are helping grow our state because they are ready to go to tap into that big market. That Chinese market has gone from being worth about $139 million in 2010 to being worth about $2.58 billion in 2015. That is tremendous growth as we see that rising class, middle class in China, demanding higher quality products and more protein. And of course, we've got a great product offer right here in Nebraska. Now, beef is our number one industry here in the state. We are the largest commercial red beef producing state. We're the largest state for cattle on feed. And we're also the largest beef exporting state. And I'm gonna let uh, Director Ibaugh talk a little bit about some of the efforts that's gotten us to that level. So again, if we're gonna grow our state, we have to look for opportunities to open up markets overseas. And that Chinese marketplace is a huge one for us to be able to take advantage of. And it's companies like Greater Omaha who are ready to go to be able to make that first shipment of beef from Greater Omaha Packing today to China to be able to take advantage of the fact those protocols were just finalized earlier this week. Since 2005, Nebraska's share of the international U.S. beef sales have increased from 3.6% to more than 18%. And Nebraska's market share in Europe has increased from 5% to nearly 50% of total sales. They are looking forward to entering the Chinese market once again. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network failed to hold our rally in the grains today. As we saw losses in corn, Chicago wheat futures, we stayed above ground a little bit for spring wheat futures, Kansas City wheat, while soybeans were fractionally mixed. Now we're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. It was the corn that seemed to have been the catalyst for a downward move today. Yeah, it was really everything. I think I'd blame it more on crude oil. Crude oil and cotton, those two markets are just falling apart. Cattle as well. So you think more of a macro risk-off environment here. And, you know, we're coming to the last two weeks of the quarter. So you look at the markets that have really performed well in the last six months, three months, and cattle and cotton certainly would be at the top of that list. So it doesn't surprise me to see some profit-taking there. Uh, I think that's bleeding over into the U.S. row crop picture. But, 
you know, we're getting better forecasts. I guess if you look at them that way, it's not going to be as warm as it's been. And I think we're looking at some moisture out here uh, in these parts, much needed moisture. So not quite sure how quickly the, uh, the USDA is going to confirm any changes in crop size or if at all. But at this point, I think maybe we've stemmed some of the bleeding that a lot of folks think we could have had uh, given the amount of, uh, amount of physical, um, you know, destruction from the heat the last couple of weeks. Well, you look at a Western Indiana report that they hadn't had rain in 25 days. That conflicts, of course, with that so much rain that was recorded in early May. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's amazing how quickly this stuff can change. And I, I look back where we were just two months ago, you know, in a lot of these markets, and we're flipped on our head uh, as far as price action goes. I just think we hit some levels this morning. You know, without that story pushing it, you're going to see some, some pullbacks. The charts don't look very good technically in wheat. Um, across the curve, you know, it looks like we might have made some highs here for the delivery period, um, and I think you'll probably start to see some harvest pressure as well. I'm actually looking out the curve of 2018 in July. It's a new crop of next year. You know, this is where the the good marketers are made in years where we have good supplies tend to trade, try tend to sell ahead. And uh, looking at 530, 540 in that market, I think that's where I would start getting some hedges on. So we did that a little bit today, um, just thinking maybe we have you know, some pullback here as we we look to deliver. Well, we're back to that 360 to 380 in corn. What about soybeans? Uh, is there a little bit of underlying support here? Yeah, soybeans are a little bit off stage right now. You know, we haven't talked about beans. There hasn't been a lot of news. You know, Brazil crops pretty much wrapped up. That WASDE wasn't friendly. wasn't bearish too bad. But we're not, we don't have that story of tight supply anymore. So I think we're waiting for that weather market to heat up. And that'll be another, you know, three to four weeks before those forecasts really matter. So shorter term here, I think it's just buying its time. I still think, I'll stand here, think we have another run to $10 at some point in the, in the marketing year. Thanks, uh, John. John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. That's the place to go, danielzagmarketing.com.